Good morning. I want you to take your Bibles or your apps or whatever you read on. And today we're going to cover a few chapters. We're going to start in Revelation chapter 8. So I find the book of Revelation. I'm going to put a graphic on the screen behind me that gives you some basic instructions on how to find Revelation. It's pretty easy. It's the last book of the Bible. So uh, it's one of the easier ones to find. We're also in the Bible app. So if you have the Bible app downloaded on your device, you can follow those instructions on the screen and uh, find uh, the, the passage that we're in and follow along with everything we're going to be uh, doing this morning. So Revelation chapter 8. Now, let me ask you something. Have you ever heard a song that you just can't help but sing along to? Everybody's got one of those songs. You know, everybody's got one of those songs that they hear and they just can't help but belt it out. You're driving in your car and you're driving along and you hear that song and what do you do? You're in the car by yourself, right? And so what do you do? You just belt it. You sing it at the top of your lungs. It may not be pretty. I always tell people, you don't want me to be on the worship team. I sound like a coyote caught in a bear trap. I don't have a good singing voice, but when I'm in my car by myself and, I've, and that song comes on, you better believe that I'm making a noise inside that vehicle that would make most of you shudder, but it's loud and it's joyful. You hear the line, that opening line or the, the, the first few words of the chorus. And if the radio station went dead, you could continue going, couldn't you? Without even thinking, you could continue singing the lyrics of that song without any trouble. Remember, if you were here with us last week, I read a made-up letter from my brother that had all these like crazy references that none of you would have gotten unless you knew me and my brother and knew the background to everything. I want to take that illustration just a step further with like a music. Think of that song, that, that song that if you heard it, you could sing it whether it was playing or not. You just know that song so well. I told you last week that John, in the book of Revelation, continually is pointing back to the Old Testament. He, he uses phrases and statements throughout the book of Revelation, and those statements are quotes from, or, or imagery from places in the Old Testament. And one of the things that he does in that is when he makes that reference, you're not supposed to go, oh, he's pointing to Ezekiel. You're supposed to go, he's pointing to Ezekiel chapter 6, and Ezekiel chapter 6 verses 1 through 8 tells me this. If you were a follower of Jesus in the day and age when Revelation was written, and you received this letter, and you, what would happen is someone would take, John wrote the letter, wrote the book, and then he would give it to someone, and he would show them, this is what I want you to do as you read it. And so take this to this church and I want you to stand before the people in that church and I want you to read it to them. And that was kind of their church service. And as you were listening to this person read aloud this book that John had written, you would hear references to Ezekiel and Zechariah and Isaiah 
and Joel and all of these different places throughout the Old Testament, and you wouldn't just go, oh, that's from Ezekiel. You would go, Ezekiel, this place that is being quoted says this, and you would tie in that Old Testament message into what John was saying in his book. You know, we have MP3 players and CDs and records and radio stations and all these streaming services. We've got all this access to music. They didn't have that access back then. And so one of the things that a Jewish person would do in this day and age was the Bible, the Old Testament, was like their song list. They had heard it so many times throughout their life, through their childhood, that when you quoted something, you could, as a Jewish person, think, oh, that comes from here, and it says this. And you would be able to recall all that, just like this song, your favorite song. You'd hear the tagline or the chorus or the beginning, and you would automatically be able to begin singing that song, whether it was continuing to play or not. The Jewish people of John's day would do the same thing with the Old Testament. And today we're going to look at several references that John makes throughout Revelation chapters 8, 9, and 10. And remember, last week I told you, maybe when you sit down to read the book of Revelation, instead of sitting down with a newspaper and compare Revelation to current events, maybe you should sit down with Revelation with your thumb in the Old Testament. And read Revelation in the context of God's Word, not the newspaper. Because John's pointing to things in the book of Revelation that if you're not going back to the Old Testament, you're going to miss the message that he has for you. So let's take and see what's happening. Turn to Revelation chapter 8. Let me give you a brief recap of what has happened up to this point. John is having a vision. He's kind of having a, a vision of heaven. And in chapter 1, he, he meets Jesus again. He sees Jesus, and Jesus tells him, I am, and he gives him all of these titles. And they tell all these different aspects of, of Jesus' character, his power, his sovereignty, and all of those different uh, elements of who he is. And then in chapters 2 and 3, Jesus says, I'm going to give you seven letters that I want you to give to these seven churches. Write down what I tell you. And so we have, through chapters 2 and 3, we have these seven letters that go to the churches. And they're meant for all churches through all of time. They're lessons for all of us. Then we get into chapters 4 and 5. Jesus finishes those letters and he says, hey, John, I'm up here now. Come up here. And so John goes up and he steps through and he finds himself standing in the throne room of God. And he describes it with all the angelic beings and the creatures and the elders that are encircling God's throne. And God's holding a scroll in his hand. And one of the angels in the throne room says, who can open the scroll? Who can take the scroll from God's hand and can break the seven seals and open it and read its contents? And nobody can be found. And so John starts to cry because he's devastated that the scroll can't be opened. And then one of the 24 elders walks up to John. And he goes, hey, John, shh, stop weeping. Don't cry. Guess what? Someone's here who is worthy. Look, 
the lion of the tribe of Judah. And it says he turned and he looked and there sitting on the throne was one like a lamb that was slain. We just sang about it in the last song, right? The lion of Judah, the lamb who was slain for our sins. And so John rejoices. And then we pick up in chapter 6 where Jesus goes to the throne, he takes the scroll, and he begins breaking the seals. And with every seal there comes a sign and a judgment. And that's kind of where we're at. We're in the breaking of the seals. We've had all the seals broken except the last one. And that's where we pick up in chapter 8. The seventh seal finally gets opened. And if you read the first few verses, the seal is broken, it's opened, and there is, for half an hour, a reverent silence in the throne room of God. Because basically what's about to happen is this seventh seal has been opened and the scroll is about to be opened. And God's plan is about to be read and enacted, lived out. And so there's this reverent silence. And then seven angels are given seven trumpets. And this comes from that seventh seal. The breaking of the seventh seal brings these seven angels and seven trumpets. And we're going to look at those in just a moment. But then look with me in verse 8. Verse 5. Then the angel took the censer. So there's an angel and he has a censer. If you don't know what a censer is, you see them in many religious practices. They've, they, they, they have them in all sorts of religions, but it's basically some kind of container, whether it be a bowl uh, or a box or some kind of, of globe of some kind, and inside is placed incense and they burn it so that the smoke, the the, the pleasant aroma comes from that incense. And they walk around, it's mobile. Uh, the whole point of a censer is that you can take it throughout the room. And so in a temple, you would take it throughout the room so that the entire temple is filled with this pleasant smell. And an angel has one of these censers in the throne room of God. And he's been... Waving it around, it says that the censer is actually the prayers of the saints. And he's waving around the prayers of the saints, and it's a pleasant aroma inside the temple of God, inside the throne room of God. Now, something that's just a little interesting side note that we probably shouldn't ignore is that this is no ordinary censer. The Greek word in this passage is not the typical word for censor. The word used here is actually the word used for a container of frankincense. Now, where have we heard frankincense before? It's one of the gifts that the, the wise men come and bring to Jesus as a child. So there's a direct reference to Jesus Christ and what he came and did in this passage. And so now it's filled with fire in verse 5. It's filled with fire. The, the angel took the censer, filled it with fire from the altar, and threw it on the earth. And there were peals of thunder, rumblings, flashes of lightning, and an earthquake. Now, just briefly, I want to address this last little thing about thunder and rumblings and flashes of lightning and an earthquake. We've seen this reference before through Revelation, and there are several references still to come in the book of Revelation about these peals of thunder and lightning and everything. These indicate 
the presence of God. And it goes way back. Think about the times when God appeared to someone. A great fire would come through and consume, and an earthquake would come through and destroy rocks. When Elijah is waiting for God in the cleft, and he hears all these things, and then he hears a whisper. And what does he do? He turns his eyes away because the whisper was God. But the, the earthquake and the fire and the thunder and the lightning are the things that went before him. They, they were almost the predecessors of his presence. So all of these things have happened. And this fire has been thrown down onto the earth, indicating that bad things are about to happen, right? Fire coming from heaven is not a good thing. Or can we all agree on that? So fire is coming down. Bad things are about to happen. It's about to get nasty. And that brings me to what I want to talk about my big idea. My big idea today I'm going to repeat throughout the message because I think it's important for us to grasp where God is going uh, with this plan. And today's big idea is simply this. God's mercy and grace will get you through anything. You know, in the end of chapter 6, we heard that the people of the earth, the ungodly, those who were evil, those who resisted God and his goodness, God's judgment is coming down on them from one of the seals and they hide themselves. And their statement is, who can stand under this? Who can stand in the midst of this? And what did we talk about in chapter 7? Chapter 7 tells us who can stand in it. It's those who are sealed by God. Those who believe in him have been sealed by his Holy Spirit, guaranteed of their salvation, right? Well, how do those who are sealed by God's Holy Spirit, how do they stand in the midst of all the bad things that we're about to read and cover? Well, the way they do it is through the power, the mercy, the grace that God provides, right? It's only through him. And we've talked about this repeatedly through worship this morning. It's only through Jesus and the ability that he gives us to be able to endure. We can't do it on our own. We don't have enough mental strength, physical strength, emotional endurance. We don't have enough of that. We need the Holy Spirit. We need Jesus. And so God's mercy and grace can get us through anything. And so then we read about the seven trumpets. Let's read about the first few of them, starting in verse 6. Chapter 8, verse 6. It says, Now the seven angels who had the seven trumpets prepared to blow them. The first angel blew his trumpet, and there followed hail and fire mixed with blood, and these were thrown on the earth. A third of the earth was burned up, and a third of the trees, and all the grass was burned up. Verse 8, the second angel blew his trumpet and something like a great mountain burning with fire was thrown into the sea and the third of the sea became blood. A third of the living creatures in the sea died and a third of the ships were destroyed. Verse 10, the third angel blew his trumpet and a great star fell from heaven blazing like a torch. It fell on a third of the rivers and the springs of the water and the name of the star was Wormwood. A third of the waters became wormwood, and many people died from the waters because it had been made bitter. 
Verse 12, the fourth angel blew his trumpet, and a third of the sun was struck, and a third of the moon, and a third of the stars, so that a third of their light might be darkened, and a third of the day might be kept from shining, and likewise a third of the night. Then I looked, and I heard an eagle crying with a loud voice as it flew directly overhead, Woe, woe, woe to those who dwell on the earth as the blast of the other trumpets that the three angels are about to blow. Does that sound like fun times? No. Now, when you read this, think back to the song illustration that I just gave. When you look through this, as an early Jewish reader who knew the Old Testament forwards and backwards, you're going to hear quotes from Jeremiah chapter 51. I'll quote a passage from it here in just a moment. You're going to hear a passage, uh, Joel chapters 1 and 2. You're going to hear pointing back to the plagues of Exodus. There's a repetitive pattern that the book of Revelation does where it's constantly pointing back to other parts of the Bible. So when you take this into consideration, the trumpets are not necessarily for the earth, but instead are a testimony of God's goodness to the witnesses and a demonstration of his mercy and grace. And let me give you just a, a little tidbit of how that works. We're going to come to the seventh trumpet here in just a moment. So we've read the first four trumpets. Pretty bad, right? People are dying. Things are being destroyed. It's not a happy thing. But when we get to the seventh trumpet, the trumpet doesn't get enacted. The judgment that comes from the seventh trumpet doesn't happen. Instead of the judgments, an angel, and we'll talk about who the angel is in just a moment, in chapter 10, an angel brings another scroll, and the scroll is God's word. And instead of bringing judgment, God brings his word. And we'll come back to that in just a minute. But these patterns that we see from Jeremiah 51 and Joel chapter 1 and 2 and Exodus, these patterns are supposed to show us God's mercy and grace that comes alongside his judgment. Judgment isn't the end-all be-all with God. Anytime God brings judgment, it's always followed by mercy and grace and the hope that can only be found in Jesus. If you go and read any of the Old Testament prophets, it's a lot of doom and gloom. They're, they're saying, hey, you, this nation, that nation, Israel, the people of Israel, you guys are not following God. And here's what God's going to do if you don't get back in line and get, start following God again. But every single one of those judgments, every single bit of that bad news is always followed by, but if you do, and even if you don't, God's going to bring you hope. Every single one. Every single time. So, the trumpets are symbolically showing the downfall of a worldly system that is against God. That's what's happening here. We can't place our trust in the things that, this, that these trumpets are destroying, whether it be nature or kingdoms, rivers, oceans, the sun, the moon, the stars, whatever it is, 
You know, back in this day and age, they worshipped all of those things. They had gods for the sun and gods for the moon and the stars and gods that controlled the rivers and the oceans and gods that controlled the, the trees and grass. And these trumpets are saying you can't place your trust in any of those things because God is the only place you can trace, place your trust. God's mercy and grace will get you through anything. It will. And so the fifth trumpet is blown. Look with me in verse 9. And the fifth angel blew his trumpet, and I saw a star fallen from heaven to earth, and he was given the keys to the shaft of the bottomless pit. Now, basically what's about to happen is this bottomless pit is opened. And out of it comes these really terrible creatures. And they're described as being locusts, but these locusts are like horses. And they've got wings, and they've got stinging tails, and they're going to torment mankind. It's not going to be fun. And this brings us to Jeremiah 51, 27. I told you that a lot of this is pointing back to Jeremiah 51. We'll, we'll look at what it says here in, in this passage. Set up a standard on the earth. Blow the trumpet among the nations. Does that found, sound familiar? Prepare the nations for war against her. Summon against her the kingdoms. Ararat, many. Ashkenaz, appoint a marshal against her. Bring up horses like bristling locusts. If you continue reading Revelation 9, you're going to see all of that imagery being conveyed. Again, John is pointing back to Jeremiah chapter 51. Now, the abyss that has been opened, this bottomless pit, the Greek word is literally abyss. That, that's where we get our word abyss. And so he's opened up this abyss and out of it is flowing smoke and these locusts and all these bad things. Now, back in this day and age, the abyss could have been one of many things. It was the place where Satan dwelled. It's the place that the beast will come from. We'll read that uh, in the coming weeks. It's the place where demons live along with Satan. It's the place where the dead rest. It is also called Hades. And it's the region also that... According to ancient Jewish understanding of how the world was physically structured, they believed that there was a place under the world, a great cavity, and they called that the abyss. Now here in Revelation, it's at least a reference to the place where Satan and his demons dwell. Because we're going to see this reference continuing. These locusts coming out are demonic activity. And out of this abyss is going to come the beasts and the dragon and all of those things. They're being released onto the world. Now, let me say again, when you're reading Revelation, don't sit down with a newspaper next to you or a news station on. Read Revelation with your Bible open, the Old Testament open. Because these locusts and these references to these other things that we're going to continue reading about, these aren't tanks or uh, missiles or airplanes. They are judgments against the things that the people of this day and age and our own society tend to worship. We tend to worship nature. We tend to worship ourselves. We tend to worship the powers that are around us. And all of these trumpets are judgments against all those things that we tend to to worship. In John or in Revelation 9 continuing with me 
Verse 6. In those days, so these are the, the locusts have gone out, they're, they're tormenting people. It says, and in those days, people will seek death and will not find it. They will long to die, but death will flee them. Now skip down to verse 11. So it's described their physique. And again, all of that description is symbolic, but it says they have a king over them, the angel of the bottomless pit. His name in Hebrew is Abaddon, and in Greek it's Apollyon. Now, Abaddon in, in Jewish mythology was another name for Satan. So Satan and his powers are coming out of this pit, and they're tormenting the people. And then look with me in verse 13. Lastly, the sixth angel blew his trumpet, and I heard a voice from the four horns of the golden altar before God, saying the sixth angel who had the trumpet Release the four angels who are bound at the great river Euphrates. So the four angels who had been prepared for the hour, the day, the month, and the year, they were released to kill a third of mankind. And it continues going on that they've got this massive army that follows them. And they come and bring torment and they kill people. Doesn't sound good, right? But again, look at the screen. Why am I going through and describing this stuff? Because for us, we as followers of Jesus, we can stand in the midst of this. Why? Because God's mercy and grace can get us through anything. God's mercy and grace can sustain you as the follower of Jesus. You can read Revelation 8 and 9. You can think, this does not look good. I'm not looking forward to this. I hope I don't have to go through this. Even if you do, though, God can get you through it. It's not meant to be rainbows and butterflies and unicorns. It's meant to point us to our dependency on Jesus. We need him. So this sixth trumpet is blown. These four angels come out. They bring an army with them and they, they kill people. It's, it's terrible. But one of the ideas behind the trumpets is that no matter what type of judgment or punishment that God brings, those who don't follow God will never follow him. Even in the midst of all of this, they will not turn to God. Look with me now in verse 20. So chapter 9, verse 20. So all of this bad stuff has happened. The six trumpets have been blown, and it has been awful. In verse 20, the rest of mankind who were not killed by the plagues did not repent. They didn't repent. Even in the midst of this, they did not change their ways. They did not turn to God. So, now in chapter 10, we see this angel come on the scene. So look with me in chapter 10, verse 1. It says, Then I saw another mighty angel coming down from heaven, wrapped in a cloud with a rainbow over his head, and his face was like the sun and his legs like pillars of fire. He had a little scroll open in his hand, and he set his right foot in the sea, and his left foot on the land. And he called out with a loud voice like a lion roaring. And when he called out, 
the seven thunders sounded. Now, that's a lot of imagery, right? But do you notice, if you've been with us for this series on Revelation, is there any imagery here that we've heard before? What about the rainbow? In chapter 4, when John sees the throne room of God, do you know what's over God's throne? A rainbow. If you go back into the Old Testament, again, think from the mind of a Jewish reader who knows the Old Testament forwards and backwards. Every time that you see a cloud that's not just a cloud, do you know what it always is? It's always the coming of God. Who led the Israelites in the desert while they roamed in the wilderness? It was God that led them. And what did he appear as as he guided them? During the night, he appeared as a pillar of fire. And during the day, he appeared as a cloud. When Solomon builds the great temple of God and he dedicates it to God, what does it say fills the temple because God's presence entered into it? A cloud. This angel is no ordinary angel. This angel, if you look back to Revelation chapter 1, chapter 4, and the Old Testament references, this is God. This is the Son of God. This is Jesus coming. Who holds scrolls in Revelation? God. And so Jesus brings this scroll to John. And instead of blowing the seventh trumpet and bringing judgment, he tells John to eat the scroll. Have you ever eaten a scroll? Of course, this is symbolism. Again, he's pointing back to Ezekiel. Ezekiel chapter 2 verses 8 and 10 say, uh, God is speaking to Ezekiel and he says, Open your mouth and eat what I give you. And when I looked, behold, a hand was stretched out, and behold, a scroll of a book was in it. And he spread it before me, and had writing on the front and back, and there was written on the words, lamentations and mournings and woe. So he's directly pointing back to the book of Ezekiel, chapter 2. And there are other references. Ezekiel, chapter 2, is not the only one. But why, if you keep reading chapter 10, he says, it's going to taste like honey... But it's going to make you nauseous. It's going to make your stomach bitter is the terminology in the Bible. It tastes like honey. It's sweet. It's pleasant to eat. But it's going to make you want to throw up. What is he talking about here? You see, the scroll is the word of God. Because at the end of chapter 10, he tells John, you're going to go and speak my words. And my words are sweet. They bring life. But these particular words that I'm giving you are going to be judgments, so they're not going to be pleasant to tell others about. It's not going to be fun. But as I mentioned before, God doesn't bring this massive judgment when this trumpet is blown. Instead, he gives John a scroll and tells him, Go preach the gospel, go preach my word, teach people to come back to me. When you read Revelation, there can be a tendency to read it and think God's just coming to destroy everything. It's judgment, it's disaster, it's punishment. 
But that's not what we see here. We see here that God's plan is for his word to bring people to him. The Bible tells us that God takes no pleasure in people who do not know him. He wants all people to come and know him. But the fact of the matter is, is that because of sin and because of deception that's brought by the enemy, there are people that will never accept Jesus. But God wants them to. But there are those who will not. No matter what's happening in the world around us, there are those who will never accept Jesus. But hear me very clearly. He wants everyone to accept him. Revelation is not hellfire and brimstone. Revelation is hope. Revelation is mercy and grace. But that mercy and grace is only found through Jesus. Through believing in him and committing your life to him. As I read from Ephesians 2 earlier during our prayer time, we are dead in our sins. We are enslaved. We are bound in bondage to those sins. And if we don't believe in Jesus, that will ultimately lead to eternal destruction. And if you've never come to the place in your own life where, where you've placed your belief and your trust in Jesus, I want to offer an opportunity for you to do that. We're going to have one of our elders up here uh, as we close in worship here in a few minutes. And the altar will be open. If you've got questions, you want to know more about following Jesus, I want you to come up and talk to the elder that's up here. Or come and grab me. I'll be out in the foyer. I'd love to talk to you about what it means, what it looks like to follow him. But ultimately, Jesus wants you to be saved from your sins. You see, every single one of us are dead in our sins. And without Jesus, we will be eternally punished for that. But if you would believe in Jesus with all of your heart, you can be rescued, you can be saved from that, and instead have eternal life with him. That's why he died on a cross and rose from the grave on the third day. That's what he came to do, was to save you because he loves you. And if you want to know more, come forward during the altar time or come talk to me at the end of service. But remember, God's mercy and grace will get you through anything. But where do we learn God's mercy and grace? Through his word. That's why Jesus gives John the scroll at the end of chapter 10. It is through his word that we can find out, we can know. That's why we study it. But ultimately, we all need Jesus. If we have any hope of enduring through this, we need God's mercy and grace to get us through the parts of our lives that are difficult, the trials, the difficulties. So if you follow Jesus, and if you are a follower of Jesus, how are you depending on his mercy and grace today? Will you join me in prayer? Almighty God, we thank you for today. And God, we thank you for your mercy and your grace. We thank you that no matter what we do, 
That mercy and that grace, that rescuing from our sins that you offer is always available to us. And when we have that mercy and grace in our lives, we can endure. So Lord, help us to believe in you. Help us to depend on you. Help us to live in the mercy and the grace, the hope that you provide. We thank you so much for all that you've done, all that you're doing, all that you're going to do. And we lift all of this to you in the name of Jesus, our Lord and our Savior. Amen.